0: Romans 13, 8 through 14. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. "'Love does no wrong to a neighbor. "'Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. "'Besides this, you know the time "'that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, "'for salvation is nearer to us now "'than when we first believed. "'The night is far gone. "'The day is at hand. "'So then, let us cast off the works of darkness "'and put on the armor of light. "'Let us walk properly as in the daytime.' not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are love. Salvation is indeed nearer to us now than when we first believed. Open our ears, our minds, and our hearts to Pastor Brad's sermon. Let us put on the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you for having me here. It's, uh, it's nice to be in a town with running water for a change. Just kidding. Uh, so my name is Brad. As uh, Kyle mentioned, I'm not a Livingstone's pa- Living pastor. I'm a pastor of a church in Winnemucca called D Three Church. Uh, D Three stands for Disciples Making Disciples Who Make Disciples, um, and it's an odd name. Everyone calls us 3D Church, which I hate, but that's just how it is. And and I love I love how it just teaches us the mission, right? The vision. Right? We're supposed to be disciples who make disciples, who make disciples. And you know you might not be a disciple of Jesus in here, but we're going to talk about what that means today. And one of the reasons why uh, I'm allowed to come up here, one of the reasons why they trust me to come up here and to speak to you today, uh, is because it's not about what I say. Right? The reason that we can go to each other's churches is because of this Bible. Um, what I say today doesn't matter What I think doesn't matter What God says today matters And so that's why uh, we can do this That's why we gather So we can hear from God And, uh, and so if you need a Bible If you don't have a Bible um, You can download a digital one Or you can take these black ones all around the room Feel free to take that with you if you need a Bible um, In fact, you know, I, I don't go to this church So take whatever else you want around here too <clears throat> You want a coffee pot, chair, microphone, whatever Pastor Kyle's desk, whatever you'd like So um, so, yeah, obviously we live in Nevada, in case you were confused about where you are. Um, and so in Nevada, and especially in Winnemucca, we're, it's like salt of the earth, right? We, it's like, it's like we, we are America, but harder, you know? And so, so there's some things that we as Nevadans and as Winnemuccans just love, right? Three things that I want to point out today. One, guns, of course, right? We just love ourselves some guns. It's all we can, all we can think about. Mexican food, naturally. <laughs> and debt, Oh, man, we love debt. I just can't wait to sink my teeth into some nice, juicy debt. We love debt almost as much as we hate kale, right? We love, we just love debt. In fact, we, we like every, every opportunity for debt we can get, we take, right? A $400,000 house, it'll take me 50 years to pay off. Sign me up, I'm in, right? Brand new Tacoma, I'm in. Like, where do I sign? You had me at debt. I love debt. In fact, if, if we meet someone that, that pays like cash for their house and car and stuff, we're like, Okay, Bill Gates, like, who are you? And so, like, we, we just love debt. It's natural. It's a, every single one of us has it almost. We, we just love it. It's part of life. And some of our debt is self-incurred, right? Some of our debt is self-incurred. And some of it's kind of just, you have to do it. Like, in order to buy a house, you almost have to go into debt. And so, so some of it's self-incurred. We just decide, you know, we want to go to college and we can't pay for it, so we take out a student loan. We want a car and we, so, and we, we can't buy it cash, so, we, so we, get a, we get a loan. And so, some of it's self-incurred and some of it is not, some of it we have to pay. There's things that we owe just because we exist, right? Like property tax. You own a house. In America, you got to pay property tax on it. You buy something in America, just surviving in America, you got to buy things, you got to pay sales tax. So we owe debt to the government. We owe the government things just by living here. And so we all are, rec- we all are pretty familiar with owing debt. But there's one type of debt that I'm guessing we don't think about a whole lot, right? There's a debt that we owe to someone that we often ignore. And that's what the passage is talking about today. We're in Romans chapter 13. And as we've said already uh, in in this series, I've watched some of the videos of some of the previous messages uh, that have been preached here through the series. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is all about what God has done for us right? We were sinners hopelessly without, without grace for our sin. Jesus came to the cross, died on the cross, and paid our penalty. And that was Romans chapter 1 through 11. And so chapters 12 through the end, through chapter 16, is all about what that means for how we now live our life. And, and so you might not have wrestled with the first 11 chapters of Romans yet. You, you might have just wandered in here today Maybe you're not even sure why you're here. Maybe you've always hated organized religion and you're not really sure why you're here, but just something drew you. Well, whether or not, you're a Christian or whether you're just here because you just decided to, there's one thing that's true for both of us from this passage, right? So for every single one of us, there's something that's true. We owe a debt of love to God and to others, right? That's the main thing that spoke to me from the pastor that the spirit kind of brought to me. We owe a debt of love to God and to others. You owe a debt of love to God and to others. So let's talk about this. First, we owe a debt of love to God, right? He made us, okay? And when you make something, right, it owes you its life, right? When you make someone, he, he created us all out of the dust. And so he created us, he, you, you exist because he wants you to. You If he didn't want you to have breath to live, you wouldn't have it. He's given it to you, and so you owe him, right? So there's responsibility there, right? You have to think about him. You have to understand who you are in relation to who he says you are, right? It's like if, you're a kid, if you have kids, if your kids came to you one day and said, you know, I think we're gonna go down to the, the family down the street and be their kids, Right? Um, we just, yeah, we just had a powwow, the three of us, the other day. We just decided we're going to be their kids instead. And uh, trust me, though, it was a close call. Like, it was really tight, but they have a pool, and so, you know, just they edged it out. Like, you, you wouldn't be cool with that. You would not be like, okay, that's fine, see ya. Why? Because they're yours. Because you made them. Like my dad always said, if I, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. So, so shave up, right? It's like, they, you, they, they owe you their life. And so they can't just make decisions, whatever they want. You, you care about them, and they, they owe you their life. And so when God created us, he gave us a responsibility. He gave us a response. He said, you're, you're, I'm going to put you on my planet and I want you to do these things. And he called those things the law. And we talked extensively about this probably in Romans chapter seven, when you went through that previously. But so you know, the Bible contains a lot of laws that comprise God's law, right? Um, there's 613 of them, in fact, that God says throughout the scriptures Things that He tells us to do and to not do. There's, there's the law, and God's going to judge us based on the law. He's going to judge us for whether or not we abided by His law, the, the laws that He simply put for us to uh, obey because He made us, and He has the right to call us to do that. In fact, if God was what didn't judge us for our sins, if He didn't judge us for breaking the law, He would be a bad judge. Just like if someone murders someone and the judge is like, oh, that's cool, no problem. That's a bad judge, right? God judges us rightly so for the ways that we break his law. And just so you know, God's law, God didn't flippantly willy-nilly give us laws. Every single one of God's laws is perfect, is purposeful. It's for the fulfillment and the, and the thriving and the happiness and the harmony of the planet. And every single one of God's laws are right? And good, and therefore your happiness, whether or not you recognize it. And so God judges us for those. And I know what you're kind of, you're probably feeling something that I feel right now is that, is that my sinful heart that's full of pride tells me the same thing that the culture outside screams at me every day. And that's this, that I don't owe God a darn thing, right? This is how we live most of our days. I don't owe God anything. This life is for me. This life is mine to live. I don't owe God anything. But we all know that that's garbage deep down, we all know that we didn't put ourselves in this planet, that God did. And what he says is greater than what we say. What he tells us about ourselves is more important than what we say about ourselves. And so verse eight says this, oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So God begins this text saying, O no one anything. Now, we're in trouble if he means what it seems like he means, which is that we're not supposed to take out any debts and owe anyone anything. We're in trouble. But is that what he's saying? I don't think so. So we go back to verse 7. He says, pay all to what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Right, so he says we owe things to people and that's okay. Okay right it's it's not that we can't take out debts it's not that we shouldn't shouldn't do that it's that we have to pay what you owe to people it's that don't don't leave any debt forgotten about ignored right and and so whether or not you you know about a debt whether or not you like it you owe some things right whether or not you like it you have to you owe the government taxes i don't like it it's right up there with cutting off my own foot and the things i want to do but but i but it's but it's something that we owe and it's not just money We don't just owe money. You also owe people respect, and you owe them honor. Jesus says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, this isn't the first time Jesus has talked about this, is it? We read it earlier when he talked about it in Leviticus chapter 19. In Mark chapter 12, he says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second, meaning the second grace commandment, is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. He says, the thing that you owe more than anything, the thing that you owe everything, everyone, God and others, that, that encompasses all of the things God has ever called you to do can be summed up in the word love. If you love God and you love people, you don't have to worry about the law because if you perfectly love God and you perfectly love people, you will naturally abide by the law because the law is based on the love God has for himself and the world. So what's the problem? We don't do that, right? If we could perfectly love God and perfectly love people, that'd be great, but we can't, right? Part of it is that we inherited that failure already from our parents, right? Your parents, my parents, everyone's parents, all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, God put them in the garden. He said, here, I'm just gonna give you one thing to do. You don't have to worry about anything. Just don't do this one thing. Don't eat of this tree. And they said, we're gonna do that instead. And so they did it. They ate of the tree. They disobeyed God. They brought sin into the world, brokenness into the world. And so we inherit what's called original sin. They brought sin into the world, brokenness into the world, this idea that we can live without God into the world and it's, it's birthed into you and my soul. We're sinful already from birth. Now, I bet you hate that idea. And so do I. But it's the truth because it's what God says. But even if it weren't true, every single one of us has broken the law since we were born also. Even if you don't like the idea that you were born sinful, born being judged rightly so by God, you still sin today. Every single second of every single day, you owe God 100% of your love and your affection and your attention. Every single day. And every single day, the Bible says, we rob him of that love that he is owed. So regardless of whether you were born in sin or have committed sin, we've, both, we've done both. And the truth is that makes us hopeless before God. God as a good judge, a righteous judge has to judge us for our sins and we are guilty. We're hopeless before him. This is why here at Living Stones and at my church and at every gospel preaching church, we cherish the good news of Jesus so much. This is why we cherish the gospel so is because God saw us hopeless in our sins. And he came down, God the son came down, was born and then lived the perfect life, racking up not a single debt of love of his own. He paid every single person the love that they were owed. He paid God the love he was owed. Jesus being fully God and fully man, empowered by him, his own glory and power to live and to love exactly as you and I were supposed to, but didn't. He didn't rack up a single iota of debt. And then he went to the cross and he looked and he said, I don't have to pay this debt because I don't owe it, but I'm going to pay it for you. And I'm going to pay it for you. And I'm going to give my life. He could have inherited eternal life. He could have lived forever because sin is the result. the The only reason we die is because of sin. And Jesus took our place. He paid all of our debts in our place. He went to the cross and in so doing, He gave his own life in our place for ours. Jesus paid our perpetual debt because see you, you can't, even if you were able to pay all of your debts to God today, tomorrow you're gonna add more to it. And so Jesus pays our perpetual debt. All the past sins you've committed, all the future sins you will commit. Jesus pays that perpetual debt on the cross. And so we are perpetually indebted to him. If you're a Christian, This means that you have recognized this hopelessness before God and you've trusted in Jesus and what he did on the cross for you. If you haven't done that, then you are not what we call a Christian. You are not what we call a disciple of Jesus's. And you are still in your sins because Jesus is the only way to pay for them. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, "'Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price.'" So glorify God in your body. All right, so Jesus pays our perpetual debt to God of love. And then now we are perpetually indebted to love Jesus. Now I wanna stop real quick because every single religion in the world and even sometimes in Christian churches, we can get this wrong. We can take this idea that Jesus gave it all for us and so now we're supposed to give it all for him and we can make it into a, an attempt to pay him back for the debt that he paid for us. And the truth is, one, you can never pay him back and two, you should never try because you can't. Because Jesus didn't come and say, okay, I'll pay for your debts but then I want you to come work for me like a boss. Jesus said, "I'm gonna." it's, it's one way grace. I'm going to have grace for you, and I just want you to live in that grace and live out of that grace and live out of that love. And so we can't pay God back. You are forever indebted to him. You are forever the recipient of his grace, and he is forever the joyous benefactor of his grace. And there's no way to switch the tables. There's no way to pay God back. There's no way. Obedience does nothing in order to earn the love that God has already freely given to you. So we are indebted to God because He made us, and if, as if that weren't enough, because He gave His life to pay for our debt to Him and to make us right before Him. And we're also indebted to others, right? We're also indebted to other people. And this series is about ordinary Christianity, right? How do we live ordinary lives with gospel intentionality? How do we live our, our ordinary lives as an offering to God? And the truth is, it's ordinary in the world for people to love each other that love them back, right? That's easy, that's easy. Christianity has a different definition of ordinary, Jesus has a different definition of what's ordinary. See, the world can love, and you and I in our natural sinful state can love anyone that loves us back. That's easy. What's hard is to love people that don't love us. That's what's hard. In Romans chapter one, the first chapter of this book we're going through, Paul says this, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. In his introduction to the whole book, he says, I am under obligation, right? I am indebted to whom? To Greeks, right? Paul's not a Greek. To people who are not like him. To people who he does not know to barbarians. People, barbarians were people who worshipped all sorts of other gods, not the God of the Bible. They probably didn't even speak the same language. He says, I, I am indebted. I am indebted to people I don't even know to love them and to share the gospel with them. Paul didn't even know these people. They probably, barbarians were known for, for killing people that they didn't know. And Paul says, I am indebted to people I don't know, who don't know me, who don't love me, who don't love Jesus who would probably kill me if they saw me, I am indebted to to love them because of Jesus. Pastor John Piper tells us, uh, helps us with this. He says, the indebtedness to enemies, barbarians, Greeks, neighbors, to hard to love spouses or kids or neighbors or anybody. This debt that we have is not because of what they gave us, but because of what Christ gave us so freely, so fully when we deserved it less than people deserve our love. Another pastor, Ed Welch, says, who am I beloved by God? He loves me more than I love him and now I get to love other people more than they love me. You are indebted, you owe people love. Did you know this? You owe people, you don't even know love. Not because of them, but because of Jesus. Verse 11. Besides this, you know the time. there's some interesting stuff in here, okay? I probably don't have to define orgies, drunkenness and quarreling and jealousy to you. You probably know what those mean. Sexual immorality and sensuality, right? Um, that's a longer discussion and we don't have a whole lot of time to get into all of that. But, but here's, here's the bottom line and here's the question that this screams to us. Do you live by God's definition of love or by your own? Lots of people are trying to find love and they're trying to love each other. But they're doing it out of their own definition. So you and I can all get together and try to determine a definition of love that makes sense to all of us and will always fail because we're gonna have lots of different definitions. And we can agree or disagree on whatever that is. The truth is it doesn't matter what I think sexual immorality means because I'd come up with a different definition than you. I'd put stuff into that category of okay that you wouldn't put there and you would do the same. The question is, are we listening to God's definition of love or to our definition of love? Do we love others based on what we think is loving or what he says is loving? Do we determine how we can love each other the way we determine that or the way he does? So how does God determine love? What does he say love is? Well, he says it in this passage. He says, oh, no, and anything except to love each other. But that love isn't something simple that we do, right? There's not a category of things that are loving and then a category of other things, right? That's not how it works. In fact, some people read this text and they believe that love is the one thing that we don't, that, that we can't pay off, right? It says no, no and anything except to love each other. There's a lot of commentaries and people talking about this passage that say, you, 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 can't, you, can, you, can, you can pay everyone everything, but love is that one debt that you can never pay off. The problem is that the text won't let us read it that way. In verse seven, it says, pay all to what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So let me ask you, when is honor paid off? See, honor is something the Bible talks about a lot that we're supposed to always do right? It's in the same category as love. And earlier in chapter 12, if you were a Roman reading this letter from Paul, you would have just read chapter 12. You'd be reading all straight through. And so you would have just heard in Romans chapter 12 that we're supposed to outdo one another in showing honor. So we're always supposed to not only be trying to honor each other, but to outdo one another in honoring each other. So, So the text won't let us say, okay, you can pay off everything else except for love. And love is this separate category. Right? You can do all these things and then you just have to keep doing that one. That's the one you just keep throwing pennies in. What it means is that there's no special category of behavior for love. There's no special category of behavior that, that these actions, these things are loving. Love is something that we do through everything else that we do. Love is something that permeates everything else that we do. Love is a disposition of the heart that seeks and acts for the goodwill of others. It's a disposition of the heart that seeks and acts for the goodwill of others. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, let all that you do be done in love. Right, love is not just a feeling. It's not just something you feel inside. It necessitates action, but it's also not just an action. It's, some, it's, a, it's a desire to, to, to love others. It's a desire for, for good for others. Right, you can do something that we would say is a loving action, with a with a bitter heart. It Says every payment ought to be made with love. Chapter twelve also says, "Let love be genuine." Right, let love be genuine. Let the things that you're the loving things that you're doing, pursue, or be pursued through a loving heart. And the point is, let every payment that is owed to anybody be made with love. Right, Honor, you wanna, do, you wanna honor people not because you feel like you have to but because out of love, out of love for Jesus that there's a desire to love them and seek their will, their goodwill. Every payment, even your tax payment. A few weeks ago, I made a $4,000 check to the IRS. Because right? pastors, we have to estimate, we have to send in checks throughout the year. And so I owed some from last year and that's some for this year. And so I had to write a $4,000 check. And you know what? That was not sent with love. Like, <laughs> I just confess that to you. I wanted to draw a little middle finger on the check when I sent it in. (laughs) It was not not a payment made with love. So I need to repent from that because Jesus says, let all things be done in love. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Everything that you do ought to be done in love. All right, that homeless person on the side of the street that's asking for money. We could argue all day on whether or not we should give it to them or whether or not that's enabling them in some way. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. Is your desire to love them or to get, let them get what they owe, what, what they've earned out of life? Is it to love them or is to help them get what they deserve? Whatever you think that is. That person that walks up to you on the street that wants you to sign a petition for something or other, right? Do you, do you see, is your desire to, to love them whether you say yes or no? Your friend that constantly mooches off of you, is your desire to show them that they need to stop doing that? Is your desire, even whether or not you have that hard conversation or you just let them mooch for you the rest of your life, is your desire for them or is it for you? Your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend or ex-husband or wife, is your desire to make them hurt like they hurt you? Or is your desire for them to love them as Jesus loved you? See, there's no asterisk for exes in Jesus' command to love one another. And then there's the Christian gray area, right? There's the Christian gray area where we look at this and we're like, yes, drunkenness, don't do that. Orgies, no problem. You know, uh, sexual immorality, okay. Then he says, not in quarreling and jealousy, Right? We probably wouldn't abide by an orgy happening at the church building, but jealousy, well, that's everywhere. It's all over here. I had struggled with that because this church is much nicer and better than mine. Right? We all struggle with jealousy and envy. It's rampant. The question is, does your definition of love and does your definition of what's right line up with God's? Because the truth is, if you love someone, you care about what they say. If you love someone, you care about what they want and what they like. So, last thing we need to see from this passage is in verse 11. Let's reread it. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed so of course he's talking to christians right because he's talking about those of us who have first believed if you haven't ever believed then you can't have first believed so there's a thing that christians talk about sometimes called the rapture everyone's favorite topic the rapture is what the bible describes in the end of days jesus is going to come back All right, jesus died on the cross paid for our sins he went to the grave he rose three days later declaring victory over death, calling all people to trust in him who can pay for their sins and to save them from death and give them eternal life with God. And then he ascended into heaven and he sent out his his disciples and said, I'm coming back one day. And Jesus is coming back one day. And the idea of the rapture a lot of times is people think, okay, well, one day Jesus is gonna come back, Trump's gonna sound, he's gonna be up there and we're all gonna go, and just see you up into heaven. And then the world can do whatever it wants after that. That's not the picture that the Bible paints of the rapture. See, when you study what the Greek means, right? When the actual words of the rapture, the, the word rapture that we, that we take from the Bible when, when it was originally written in Greek is this idea. It's, it's, it paints a picture of, of someone coming. You're like walking up to someone's property and they come out to greet you and then take you inside. So it's like Jesus is coming and then we caught, get caught up in the air and greet him back to earth to come and to rule and to reign. Jesus has said, I'm coming back and I want you to be a part of that redemption that I'm bringing. Jesus is going to bring ultimate redemption one day. He's going to make all things new, new heavens, new earth. Everything's going to be the way it ought to be, the way we all know it was meant to be in the beginning. But we can't make it happen because we're sinners. Jesus is doing that redemptive work and he wants us to be a part of it. That's why he calls us not just to be saved and to have a relationship with him, but then to go out and to be disciples, making disciples in the city that we live. Oswald Chambers says, all of God's people are ordinary people who have been made extraordinary by the purpose he has given them. You know what this passage is saying? He's saying, oh, no one anything except to love. Because I've loved you, Love other people. You owe a debt of love to every single person on the planet because I loved you when you didn't deserve it. And whether or not they deserve it doesn't matter. You owe them because I've loved you and sent them to them. And so what this passage is saying is there's work to do. Christians, there's work to do. Right? Some of you are, are sitting here waiting for something. You're waiting, worrying. Maybe you're thinking about the thing I said about the rapture, whether or not you believe that or whatever. And you're just kind of contemplating that. Some of you are just biding your time. You're worrying about foolish things that don't matter. Some of you are waiting for someone else to earn your love. Some of you are, are withholding forgiveness, waiting for someone else to earn it. Some of you are waiting for someone else to earn your help. Maybe it's your spouse who's done something. You're waiting for them to earn your love or your forgiveness for that thing. You walk around, you're waiting for your coworkers to earn your acceptance of them or your your intentionality in loving them and caring for them. You're waiting for people in your life to earn it. When God has said that you owe them already. Some of you are business owners and you could be loving to the the people that come in. You could be gracious, you could be generous, but you don't because it's just business. There's no such thing as just business in the kingdom because every single person in the world we owe love to. There's no separate relationship between the people that you love and then the people that you do business with. Some of us, some of you in here, maybe think because because you do try to love other people, because you're kind to people, you try to be nice to people, you try to love others, that that means you're good with God. That's not the case, right? Being good to other people and calling yourself a Christian is like pooping in the woods and calling yourself a bear. (laughs) It's not sufficient. Doesn't work. There's a guy in church history called Augustine, one of the early church fathers. And Augustine... Um, has this radical transformation, right? Where he lived his whole life. He was really smart, really heady, really philosophical. And he was living his life. He, he had no, um, no semblance of a Christian morality when it came to sexual things specifically. He had all sorts of, uh, his definition of sexual immorality was much different than, than God's. And he lived this kind of life. And then one day, he heard some kids singing. And the thing they were singing was, take up and read it. That's what they were singing, just passing by. Take up and read it. And he thought, huh. And so he had a Bible nearby. And so he opened it. He said, okay, I guess this is a sign from God. I should take it and read it. So he opened it. And he opened it up to this page. And he read these verses. He said, the night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And he became a Christian right there. Now you're probably thinking what I was thinking. It's like, no, you mean like John three sixteen, right? No, no, no. Like, like the one about the orgies? Yeah, the one about the orgies, he, that, that's what spurred him to become a Christian. And here's what he said about that. He said, No further would I read, nor needed I. For instantly at the end of this sentence, by a light as it were of serenity infused into my heart, all the darkness of doubt vanished away. There's something about the truth of God, whether or not you've aligned your definition of truth or righteousness or goodness or love with God's yet at all that's just light. There's just something about it. We, we've lived our lives trying to figure this out on our own. And all it's done is brought us confusion, darkness, brokenness, relational carnage, everything. And we can't figure it out. And he, he had lived his life to the fullest in that way. And then he saw this and said, yes, Jesus frees us from the foolishness of trying to gratify our own desires. He brings light into that dark place. So let me speak to those of you in here who who maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't know Jesus personally. You've never trusted in him. The truth is you have a mountain of debt that you owe to God. And as loving as you try to be to other people, it won't pay it. The only thing that will pay it is Jesus. Every millisecond of your life, you're, you're racking up an infinite amount of debt that you owe to God of love that you can't pay. And so do the rest of us. And the only thing that makes Christian a Christian is that we've trusted Jesus to pay for that debt like he did on the cross and offered it to us, gave us his life. He says, here's my perfect life that has no debt. Would you like it? I'll trade you. And the only way to be free from it is to trade. The only thing to be free from is to give our life to Jesus and accept his offer of redemption C.S. Lewis says, the Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but, because, but that God will make us good because he loves us. That's the gospel. Christians, recognize every opportunity to love like Jesus. Right? You want to know how to, how to love? Here, here, here's a simple thing. Love goes first and love puts itself second. There you go. Love goes first and love puts itself second. Right, if you're in conflict with someone and, one per- and you both need to apologize, go first. Right, you, you, you're, you're hanging out with someone and you're waiting for them to come and be nice to you so you can be nice to them, go first. You're waiting for someone to ask for help, go help them first. Put yourself second. Love is never selfish. What does this look like practically? I can't tell you, honestly. This week I had someone come to me they have a, a bunch of family members that are really deep into addiction and they're struggling with the line between helping free themselves from addiction and then enabling them to stay in it, right? How do you, what's loving, right? What, what's the right thing? And I had to be honest with them. I said, look, I don't know. I'm not gonna pretend to know. I haven't gone through this, right? This is difficult, learning what love is, because love permeates everything. It's not, a, it's not a special category of behaviors. It permeates everything. There's no manual for it. The Bible gives us a lot of clues, but you know what Jesus says? He says, walk with me and I'll show you. Follow me and I'll show you. Sometimes Jesus, loving people, looked like giving them something, giving them food to eat when they, needed, when they were hungry. Sometimes loving people, looked like Jesus telling them truth that they really needed to hear and they were blinding themselves to it. Sometimes it looked like Jesus turning over tables when there were scammers hurting God's people and people that wanted to worship God, being hindrances. Sometimes it was dying for people, sacrificing himself. Bob Goff. Uh, uh, author author of a book called Love Does says love is never stationary right regardless of what of what you think of of, of where you're at and, and how you're trying to follow Jesus and learn to love like him where you're at in that journey it's a lifelong process and you can never get it right but it's never stationary we read the 1 the Corinthians chapter 13 passage about love. Love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't boast, love keeps no record of wrongs. And it's really sweet when we read that at our weddings, but you know it's just as true when you see your garbage man. It's just as true. All those things are true. And Jesus' love is unmatched. The love, when you read the, the scriptures, when you read what G, the story of Jesus and how Jesus loved people, there's no way. Any of us could even get close. The world transformed forever because of Jesus and his life and his death. And him sending his disciples out and he told them that the world will know them by their love for each other. Just imagine your life if you love like Jesus. Imagine your life if you lived it knowing that you owe God everything, that he gave you everything and now you can give others everything because of that. What if people came into this church and they said, "Man, I hated organized religion. I've been hurt so many times. But when I walked in there, I just felt more loved than I've ever been in my whole life." That changes city. Christians, let us make the reckless, vulnerable, sacrificial, unbelievable, unmatched love of Jesus ordinary among us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it lays us bare, that it shows us our true selves, not the ones that we pretend to be before you, but the ones that we are, that desperately need saving, that desperately need redemption from the lives that we've tried to live on our own. Lord, thank you for being a God who not only tells us of our sin, but you have paid for it for us. Father, thank you for being a God of grace. Thank you for being a God of both justice and mercy. Thank you for giving us the truth of the gospel today to drive it deep down into our souls and transform us and then redeem the world for your glory. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen.